0: All right, welcome into the Hoist the Colors podcast, an exciting edition of the Hoist the Colors podcast because it's a somewhat emergency edition of the HTC podcast. I'm Stephen Igo. I've got Jonathan Wagner joining me online over Zoom. We are breaking down ECU's historic win over number five Houston last night inside Menji's Coliseum. Jonathan. First off, welcome back into the podcast. This might be our most exciting podcast, at least for a post game in quite some time.
1: Yeah, man. Thanks for having me back on. But yeah, like you said, who who would have thought? Who would have thought we'd be here today talking about this?
0: All right. So let's dive into the story. We'll talk about the game a little bit. but uh, So I rarely go on vacation, but I just so happened to, um, you know, I had some free nights I needed to use for my Hyatt, Hyatt credit card. Erica, my wife, wanted to get out of town. She had taken uh, the first week in February off. So we're like, all right, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll head out of town to Charleston, South Carolina for a few days, enjoy some nice time off. I look at the schedule, making sure I'm not missing anything big. And, you know, I looked at the Houston game. I'm like, okay, like this has the chance to be an historic upset, but it's not going to happen. Like ECU is playing it terrible. We decided to take this vacation about a week and a half ago. Uh, you did have the traditional signing period on Wednesday, but you know from what I heard was here, and ECU was going to sign one guy, one two guys at most. So it was a good time to get out of town. I'm like, all right, I'll let Jonathan and Lee cover the game. They'll probably lose by twenty, and we'll move on with life. But that did not happen. I was out at dinner, at a nice dinner, and like I had my Apple Watch, and it kept buzzing because uh, Hoist the Colors. I had the the updates for when they tweet. So I would like semi-check the score, but wasn't really paying attention. Jonathan sent me a few texts about Luigi throwing up on himself. Uh, (laughs) So I was like trying to like stay focused on dinner because I didn't want to be rude to my wife. But then we got back in the Uber at halftime and ended up watching the final 10 minutes once I got back to the hotel. But Jonathan, you were there. You witnessed ECU's historic 82-73 82-73 victory over Houston. The Pirates had lost 5 in a row. They were 16 and a half point underdogs. Houston comes in beating the crap out of everybody and I guess just your initial thoughts on what what was it like to be there first off and how did it all unfold in person?
1: I'll say it was really weird being there. Me and Lee, we sat right behind the Houston bench. So it was kind of cool in that sense too just being so close to you know, a top five program, being able to see their coach interact, see how mad Houston's coach got when they really started to struggle. But, yeah, it was really weird not having fans, but honestly, all things considered, the benches really got loud on both ends. Houston was loud in the beginning, and then as the game went on, ECU's bench was electric. And the limited amount of fans and family we did have, it, It felt like there was at least some fans in there, which was nice. But as for the game, you know, we started off and it was it was a little back and forth. Houston started off in a lead and then we went on, I think, a 7-0 run to go up top. Houston went on a run to take the lead back. And then we went on another run and we took the lead. And when we took that lead back the second time, I looked at Lee and I said, are they about to really do this? And surely enough, they did. You know, they kept going back and forth, and they were down by three at halftime. But in the second half, they really took over. And they shocked me, that's for sure. So, I don't know.
0: And we were texting, I think, around halftime or so. I think you texted me and said, we've got a game. And I was like, you know, what's the score? And I was like, oh, that's cool, but Houston's going to pull away in the second half. Like, I'm glad you got to see a competitive first half. I've seen this Houston team all year. Like They just make too many threes. They're too good defensively. Their offensive rebound is just insane. So I thought for sure at some point they would they would pull away. But when I got into the car and I checked the score in ECU, so I think it was uh, ECU had a slight lead. Houston came back and tied it up. And now I think ECU hit him with a 6 or 8-0 run right after that, around the 10 to 12-minute mark. That's when I thought, like, okay, like they've withstood the Houston run. They've now retaken the lead, and they've retaken a sizable lead. And that's, I think, like you said, that's when it started to feel real. Like, hey, U is going to pull this off. And I thought, from my perspective, talking about the last 10 minutes, which I got to see, Houston did not look like the team I had seen in other games this year because I thought they looked frantic and kind of, I don't know, I think the pressure really got to them. They weren't supposed to lose this game. I thought they were rushing shots. Uh, they they weren't kind of taking their time offensively, and I thought the pressure got to them, whereas ECU played pretty relaxed, I thought, which concerned me because I thought for sure ECU's never been in this spot about the upset of top-ranked team at home. Can they close it out? And sure enough, they did. And I thought that was one of the more impressive parts of the night.
1: Yeah, and I think, like you said, Houston just kind of looked a little lost at times, and I think a lot of that goes to ECU – the stats might not show that they played great defense. You know, they gave up 73 points, but I thought they had a fantastic night, especially interior. Every ball that went inside, ECU got a hand on it. Every time Houston went up, we were right there. And every time they would kick it out to the perimeter, we were getting hands on those balls too. So even if we weren't, we didn't get credited with as many steals, we were getting hands on almost every ball. So Houston was really having to, you know, start over on offense almost every time they pass the ball. And it was really impressive. I was really impressed with the defensive effort. Like I said, especially interior. But I I really still can't believe that it actually happened. I woke up this morning and I texted Lee and I said, it wasn't a dream. (laughs)
0: That's (laughs) the thing is like just being out of town and texting some of my, my good friends who are big Pirate fans. Like they're almost like, man, I didn't even know the game was going on because you're you you've lost five in a row. It's on ESPN Plus. It's at six o'clock, not seven o'clock. I even texted my dad, who is a big ECU basketball fan, and he was like, I, you know, I thought they played at seven. He was like, I I caught the last little bit because I got the ESPN alert. That was the only reason he got he got on to see the game because he thought the game was later. Um, so I think. Unfortunately, because of the pandemic and people not being there, it almost—I don't want to say it takes away from the upset, but it does feel like it. It makes it less real, I guess. I don't know the exact term I'm looking for, but it feels like if it would have been a packed house, if it would have been an ESPN Two or ESPN U game, maybe it's getting even more buzz. Not that the Pirate Nation hasn't been excited about it, because there's been a ton of reaction on social media. But like you said, it still feels like, man, like. DC really did this but did they really do it I, I don't know it's just kind of an odd odd feeling but i think that's just covid it, it's you know i think that's just the effect of covid unfortunately
1: yeah i agree it's it's tough you know i was lucky that i was able to be in there and but i we kept saying all night like just imagine what this would be like and you know it sucks in that sense because so, it would have been probably a night that ECU fans remember forever and I mean I think they will like you said they will remember this night because they did just beat the fifth ranked team in the country but they could have been in there would have added a whole another element to the game and honestly it makes it that much more impressive that we did pull it off
0: yeah well I want to get into the big picture discussion of where this win ranks all time in ECU basketball history let's first dive into some of the numbers Jonathan from this game uh, we hit on some of them earlier but From ECU's perspective, they turn it over just seven times against 20 assists. That is a remarkable number, especially against Houston's length uh, and their talent and speed. Uh, Rebounding, Houston was out-rebounding opponents by 10 coming into the game per game. And ECU only was uh, out-rebounded by one. And really, from what I saw, ECU was just as tenacious in those loose ball situations, Houston was going at from hard, but ECU, I thought, out-hustled them on a few few occasions. And then the big one, the three-point shooting. ECU, which has really struggled in conference play from three, they go 11 of 24 uh, for greater than 40%. Houston really struggled in the second half, 9 of 29 from three, um, which they went 3 of 18 in the second half for a 16.7% percentage. So those were kind of the three stats that stood out to me, Jonathan. Um, any comments there or any big stats or anything you notice in person?
1: Yeah, you mentioned the rebounding and that was something else that stood out to me. You know, coming into the game, Houston was a top five rebounding team overall, second in offensive rebounding. Jaden Gardner had 15 rebounds. And then you have guys like Tristan Newton and Tremont Robinson White, who had four rebounds and not be big. And Coach Dooley talked a lot about it coming in. You know, that that possession starts when the shot goes up. You know, you have to get in there, you have to rebound and to really pretty much match a top five rebounding team nationally. That's awesome. But I agree. I think just, you know, we've talked a lot about Jaden Gardner kind of carrying the load. He's finally started to look like Jaden Gardner again the past couple weeks or so, but there hasn't really been much help. And then last night you look at Tremont with 17 points, JJ, Miles with 14, Tristan Newton 10, Barudi 13. That's five guys scoring double figures. And when you're playing against a team like Houston, obviously early on, I noticed they were, they were kind of zeroing in on Jaden inside. But once Jaden started kicking it back out and Baruti hit a couple of early shots, Tremont hit a couple of early shots. Once they started to hit those shots, especially from three, it really opened Jaden up in interior a lot. So we proved that we can score in other ways and I think that helped Jaden that helped everyone else and it really messed with Houston a little bit.
0: So one of the biggest things I noticed watching the final 10 minutes was how much the ball was in Tristan Newton's hands at point guard. And um looking at this the stats, so Tremont Robinson White who's been kind of the main point guard, he played 34 minutes. Tristan Newton played 36. Of course, Tremont continued his his hot streak. He scores 17. Five of eight, or five of six from three-point range, which is just an incredible stat for Tremont. Um, Newton goes three of seven from the field; he scores ten, but he has six assists, and two turnovers, and three steals. So was Tristan? Was he involved more in the ball handling? From what you saw, Jonathan, it seemed like he was handling the point, and maybe Tremont played off the ball some more than we've seen in the past.
1: Yeah, for sure. I think early in the game, it was kind of what we've seen recently with Tremont kind of handling the load with having the ball in his hands, but as the game went on, and I think, you know, Tremont, he had a great game, like you said, but eventually Houston started guarding him a little tougher. And they were both on the court together the majority of the game. But once they started giving the ball to Tristan, I think the offense really did take that next step. Tristan had six assists, and I think it's a luxury to have two guys when they're both on playing with the ability to handle the ball. And I noticed it late game too. late game, you know, we were starting to struggle a little bit just to get the ball in when Houston started adding in some full court pressure. But, you know, if Tramont wasn't there, Tremont started inbounding the ball and Tristan was the primary guy taking it up. And I think, like I said, it really opened up the offense a little bit, just giving the ball back to Tristan. And it, I think it helped him get his confidence back. So I think that was really big and uh, honestly, one of the main reasons we won on May 23rd... I want to go back to normal. What's normal?
0: The Paramount Plus original series, Evil, returns. We've already hunted werewolves
1: and demons. And now what? A baby antichrist? <laughs> Yuki Prepare yourself. You will not beat us. For the end. <sighs> Stop making shut up. You're not gonna survive
0: this. Evil, the final season, streaming May 23rd, only on Paramount Plus. I watched the press conference for Joe Dooley and company on the on the drive home, and uh, you asked about the injury situation with Brandon Suggs. He did not play. He was at the arena, like you said, and um you know, so he, it's not a COVID situation. It's an injury situation. Tyree Jackson, unfortunately, also. Only plays eight minutes in his return. He goes out with an injury, which you hate to see. Uh, you know, from listening to Joe Dooley's answer, I didn't really get a good feeling on either of the injuries, honestly. Like, I mean, he, he kind of said Suggs got injured against Tolson, and they were waiting on some returns. Uh, further evaluations, Tyree, they're still waiting on. But I think you said he came back in a boot. Is that correct?
1: Yeah. He came back with a boot. He had crutches on, and he pretty much got carried everywhere. So he was not able to walk
0: walk that much. Yeah, which isn't good. And, you know, it it does kind of take some sting out of the wind if they end up losing Tyree and Suggs to injury because then if that happens, you know, we we hope that Suggs is able to get back relatively soon. But you're talking about a a really thin roster all of a sudden. Uh, We haven't seen Farrakhan play the last couple of games. You know, we haven't heard about an injury there. But last night it was pretty much down to, um, a seven-man rotation with Jackson out. You had Gardner, Tremont, Miles, Newton, and Baruti all with 30 or more minutes played. Luigi played 11. Miles James played 11. And he's more of a guy who doesn't really play a lot in conference play. So that is something that is a concern going forward.
1: Yeah, and back to Brandon Sugg so just for a minute. From what I saw, he was moving around fine. I didn't notice a limp or anything, so – Don't know what that is. Hopefully it's just kind of a precautionary. He needed another couple days to rest up since we do play Saturday and Monday moving forward. Um, But, yeah, it's going to be really important. I think it's interesting that Farrakhan hasn't played that much. But, you know, obviously there's a lot of talented guards on the roster right now who have really started to play well. So as you get into a game against a team like Houston, it's – easy to see why Dooley would trust a Tremont, Tristan, Tyree, those types of guys over Noah. Nothing against Noah, I just think he's not quite ready for those types of games yet, but I don't think they're gonna have a choice. I think we're gonna see a little bit more of Noah moving forward, depending on Tyree's injury, which I don't know what it is, but I'm not optimistic.
0: Right, and we'll keep you up to date on net with the latest. Uh, we might talk to Dooley, I believe, tomorrow before they head to Memphis, but we'll see. Uh, so, and the other thing, too, I thought Dooley postgame, a lot of coaches would be kind of jacked up after a win like that. He never gets too high, never gets too low. You know, I'm sure if we talked to him off the record, he would have a few different things to say than on the record, but uh, a huge uh, career win, number 200 n- number two hundred for Dooley, so congrats to Joe on that uh, being such a remarkable win and you would like to have more time to celebrate it Jonathan but unfortunately you look at the schedule coming up and it's like you're right back into the grind man at Memphis on Saturday who you just lost to by 27 points and then you come home versus SMU on Monday so you beat the best team in the league and now you're facing arguably the next two top teams in the league in uh, the coming three days so A tough stretch again, and then you got Temple back to back, and then you go on the road to Houston in a return game where they'll be motivated. So, again, I'm I'm thrilled about this win. I I think this program needed it for recruiting, for morale. I do think they can build off of it, but it's going to be tough, tough to uh, go on the road to Memphis and win that game. You know, we'll see what happens against SMU. But, you know, when you look at this win individually, what do you think this win does for this team? Does it depend on? how they followed up you know if they go out and lose three in a row d- does everybody kind of forget about it or just a win that kind of stands uh the rest of the season
1: i think given how things have gone over recent weeks i think they they really needed whether it was against houston whether it was against memphis against smu they needed a kind of a signature win if you will and You know, with the COVID pause and seemingly everything going wrong for them over the last couple weeks, I think it's going to do a lot for their confidence. They look like a different team, not even just on the court, but just facial expressions, energy. They they looked excited to be out there again, and I haven't seen that in at least a couple weeks. So it was nice in that standpoint. But moving forward, I think it's just important to kind of find a balance. You know, they talked about, you know, in postgame, Jaden talked a lot about how a win like this shows you, you know, we can beat anybody. You know, we just beat the best team in the conference. So with that mindset, you shouldn't be able to go out and beat the second best or third best and every other team. But I think you also have to find a balance between that and not getting too cocky and saying, hey, we just beat Houston. We're going to go beat Memphis. I think you just got to prepare every day. And Coach Dooley said it. You go into every day, you have to win every day. And if you don't win every day, you're not going to win the games. So,
0: and I think, I think this win does validate a lot of people were arguing. Hey, does th- does the COVID pause? Did it really affect this team that much? And you had a large contingent saying no, like everybody's dealing with it. ECU should still be better. And you had some saying this really messed the team up. They were rolling before Christmas. I think this kind of validates the argument that yes, it did mess the team up and it's probably somewhere in the middle like ECU is not a top 25 caliber team they you know you can't expect them to beat the likes of Houston in the world but I think this shows last night showed ECU's ceiling when they're playing at their absolute best and I think the unfortunately the COVID pause really took a lot out of that ceiling um, they've progressively gotten better every single game since they came back I mean the Memphis game was a disaster they came alive in the second half against UCF. They played a pretty complete game against Tulsa outside of the last few minutes, and they played a complete game against Houston. So, we'll see how they continue to move forward, but I do think it validates that hey, if they maybe didn't have a pause and maybe didn't lose all these pieces, maybe they'd be in a better position right now. So, again, we'll see how they followed up. I'm not expecting them to go on the road and, and win at Memphis Saturday, but even if they play a much tighter game than what they did the first time around, I think that shows a lot as well. So, Um, Saturday at 2 p.m., ESPN 2 or ESPNU, the Pirates will take on Memphis at FedEx Forum. We'll have coverage for you on hoistthecolors.net. All right, Jonathan, before we wrap this episode up, I've seen a lot of talk about hey, is this ECU's best win in men's basketball history? Which I think I tweeted at one point yesterday that they were on the verge of closing the best win in program history. Or. Is the Marquette game in December of 2002 the best win in history? And you can make an argument for either one, I feel like. I think both have their pros, both have their cons in terms of the argument. I think those two wins in themselves are the top two wins in program history. By the numbers, Houston is number five. According to the AP poll, Marquette was number 13 when ECU beat them. So by the numbers, technically this would be the highest and best. It is the highest and technically would be the best, depending on your definition of best. But So for semantics, I'm going to make the argument for the 2002 game versus Marquette because I was there, and you were at Houston ECU. I'll let you go first in, in terms of why you think maybe from. – I'm not saying you have to say one way or the other, but if you're presenting the argument, why is the win over Houston the best win? in ECU basketball history?
1: Well, I'll start off by saying I really don't know much about the O2 Marquette game because I believe I was three years old. So, but, I mean, just looking at the game against Houston, like I said, you know, we've had a really rough stretch, and every team has. But I think this win, I'm not going to say it's a program-altering win or anything like that. But I think it's a season-altering win because you look – I mean, a lot of people – a lot of people coming into the year said, this is a lost season no matter what. You know, fans aren't here. Whatever, I don't care. But coming into this game playing, you know, probably the worst stretch in a while, especially after starting 7-0 and and just really hitting rock bottom after that, I think they needed this if they wanted any shot of having a successful or even a positive into their season in any way, like I said, I think they needed a win like this. So I think for the players, for the coaching staff, it's really going to help them and their confidence moving forward. And then you think, I mean, even recruiting wise, you know, we've got a couple of guys signed already for next year, but there's still a couple of guys we're in on who we don't have sealed and i think moving forward i think you still need to continue adding talent to the roster so i think a win like this really does stand out in their recruit eyes and it's say hey you know this team can win you know maybe this is something i do want to be a part of and obviously that's looking way into the future but to me this this win is always going to stand out for me it's going to be something i remember for the rest of my life um it's just one of those things. Like I said, you know, nobody expected it to happen. So when it did, it was like, wow. And that that that's really all I can say. All
0: right. So the Marquette thing, ECU actually beat them twice in two thousand two. The first win was in February of two thousand two in ECU's first year in Conference USA. They won that game fifty one to forty six. Marquette Marquette was ranked number nine at the time, according to the coaches poll. That was a signature win for Bill Harion in ECU's first year. in conference, It kind of proved they belonged. They had beaten Louisville for their first conference win earlier that year. Uh, but it was the December of 2002 game when ECU beat Marquette. Uh, you know, a lot of people get those games confused, including myself. It was the, the December 2002 game. ECU was off to an incredible start that year. I think like 13-2 and two or something in that realm, and they started early in conference play and beat the Dwayne Wade-led Marquette Golden Eagles 73-70 inside of pac Minji's Coliseum. So they upset number nine Marquette twice in the span of one year, but it was that December game that really stands out to a lot of people because of what Marquette ended up doing. They were ranked, of course, number nine at the time in the uh, coaches poll, number 13, I believe, in the Associated Press poll. Um, Houston was number five last night, for example, in the AP poll. But that Marquette team ended up making the Final Four under Tom Crean and Dwayne Wade. And that team had star power. They had Dwayne Wade, Travis Diener, um, a couple other guys as well who went on to play in the NBA. So that was a star-studded Marquette team. It happened in front of a packed house. It happened when Menjies was roaring every single night. I think that game in itself will probably last longer because more fans were there. It was a better atmosphere. It was arguably a better time for ECU basketball. Um, There was so much hope in the program because they had just joined a powerhouse conference USA over the CAA. So that was a huge win for the program um, in, in so many ways. And still kind of holds up to this day. You know, because the Houston game didn't happen in front of a packed house. Because the Houston game happened during the COVID era. uh, Will it be remembered the same way? I don't know. One thing I do know is that the Houston game for sure, in my opinion, is is easily a top three win in program history. Along with those two Marquette wins. Probably number two for me uh, behind the December 2002 Marquette game. Uh, the February Marquette game where it was the first win ever over a top 10 opponent according to the coaches poll uh, has to be in the top three. Then the other two for me are NC State when ECU beat, beat NC State under Matt McCarthy for the first ever ACC win in program men's basketball history. Uh, Minji's was electric that night and then also the Louisville win in ECU's first uh, season in Conference USA in basketball when they beat the Rick Pitino-led uh, Louisville Cardinals inside Menji's Coliseum. So those five games in particular are up there for sure. But the Houston game is definitely a part of them. Joe Dooley orchestrates one of the top wins in ECU basketball uh, history in the program. So I, I think it, I think it will stand tall for a long time. I don't know if it's the best. I still give it to Marquette in 2002. But uh, it's certainly up there, Jonathan. You got to see history uh, to to kind of wrap up this whole
1: thing. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's no, I'm no stranger to bad luck when it comes to ECU sports. Um, you know, Coppin State last year work says all I, all I need to say. But you know, dare I say it? But my luck's turning around a little bit. You know, the last three games I've seen in person, this game. UNCW game earlier this year, and then football against SMU. I was in the stands. My luck might be turning around here.
0: Yeah, I That's think it's it cool. I think you're on the right the right path. So, um, I, I think you're you're the more games you cover, the better games you're going to see in the victories. And um, this this one will be tough to top. Though, I'm not going to lie. Like, I don't even know if I've covered a basketball win anywhere close to that big. I mean, I've seen them beat Cincinnati uconn a couple others so um but it's up there and yeah i mean
1: uh, i I tweeted out after the game i said i tweeted out the game story and i said this is probably the biggest upset i'm ever gonna see so if it if if it gets topped topped one day awesome but for now it's it's just awesome it was really cool to be there
0: yeah, well, I'm glad you you and Lee got to cover it. And you are the good luck charm. I'm not allowed inside <laughs> Menji's Coliseum anymore. But, uh, oh, well, we'll make it work. But we'll, we'll, I'll get back in there. I'll sneak back in there at some point. But, uh, again, happy for ECU. They've dealt with some uh, some tough tough situations this year, this season, in the basketball season with the five straight losses. They needed a win like this. So, very happy that ECU pulled it off. Uh, Jonathan wanted to thank you for joining me for the emergency day after podcast. I didn't plan on doing a podcast immediately after getting back from vacation, but here we are. So, uh, it was fun.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like I said, never would have expected we would be here today. um, talking about a win over fifth best team in the country, but you know, like I, I told you last night, you know, me and Lee are the good luck charm. So I think you might just need to hand over the keys and move on
0: i know i know the The pirate nation is not gonna uh, allow me to return if if i cover another game and they lose so we'll work on something but uh all right jonathan man it was fun uh for the pirate nation that joined in thank you guys for listening glad we can talk about a big pirate basketball victory we'll be back sometime in the coming days talking ecu memphis also some baseball at some point as well over the next week you've been listening to the hoist the colors podcast